0: Do you remember how on SBS there was the pre-program warning where the guy used to say, this program contains nudity, strong language, and adult themes. And when he got to the adult themes bit, he said it in this really sexy way. (laughs) That guy was awesome. Uh, I wish he was here now because this podcast does contain adult themes. If you are listening with young children in the back seat of the car you may have to explain some things that you might not want to explain on a wednesday afternoon so just keep that in mind i am that said so excited to share this conversation with you this was such a fun afternoon going to see ursula robinson shaw who is a poet who i have admired from afar for many years so much of making this Show is getting the chance to sit down with people who I've just had creative crushes on for the longest time. I felt really comfortable talking with Ursula. I, I think I actually sound like myself in a lot of this recording, which is you know, as soon as you turn the mic on, that that changes. You become this weird, different person that you aren't actually. Uh, but that didn't happen so much here, and. Ursula said she had fun too. She was extremely kind and patient with me. I made her read from two of her book reviews that we discuss in this conversation and from her chapbook with absolutely no warning. Uh, I also led her into territory that I had given her no heads up about. Feminism, uh, discussions of heterosexuality, which let's face it, is a very thorny topic and hard to talk about at the best of times but she said she had fun so thank god um is just one of those people whose energy excites me and makes me feel like we're in a really good place in terms of poetry writing in this country uh we got to launch our chapbooks at the same time hers is called noonday she's just put out another since then called yearn Malley. I actually do think that's funny, Ursula. (laughs) And she's writing another one with Melody Paloma at the moment. Um, She is a co-director of Sick Leave, the reading series, and we talk a little bit about that here. I got to go to Sick Leave on Saturday night. I'll be straight with you. I find it hard to go to poetry events, even still. I probably have talked about that before. I get nervous, I get all wound up about who's going to be there and what am I going to say to them and everyone thinks I'm an idiot and blah, blah, blah. Um, And I wanted to say that because I spoke to some people um, on Saturday night at Sick Leave who said, you know, that they they felt the same way. Um, And I think that that's worth noting that, if everybody's nervous at the same time, then maybe none of us need to be nervous. Uh, there's, there's nothing to be nervous about in that case. And what's special about Sick Leave is that even though it can be nerve-wracking to go to a thing where all the people you admire are, and they're all going to be very smart and funny and charming, um, Harry, Gareth and Ursula make it feel like you're at a party. Um, it was just an absolutely beautiful night. It was actually a fundraiser for a set of chapbooks that they are going to be making. I'll link to information about that. But for now, I will hand you over to this quite giggly, quite gossipy, quite silly, but still kind of serious conversation with Ursula Robinson Shaw. I hope you can feel how fun this conversation was to have. I'm just so excited to talk to you, and I have so many questions. So, I'm going to start by asking about the poetry reading because you guys are running a sick leave fundraiser next Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Amazing lineup. Yeah. Absolutely amazing lineup. I was wondering, though, as a co director, whether you have thoughts on the poetry reading as a thing mm. and whether you think that there are changes that could be made say, if you had $20,000 or unlimited time or something like that? I think $20,000 would, like, ruin most of the things that are good about good
1: poetry readings. I feel like mm-hmm. as soon as you throw money at the problem, it gets infinitely worse. Like, if you go to something at the Wheeler Centre, you're like, this is – I'm in hell. Like, this is the worst time I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, that's why we started Sick Leave. One of the reasons in the first place was because we kept going to these readings and we were like, this is interminable, so – yeah. um i think i don't know if if the people talk about them like they're punishing but if the poetry is good and everybody's relaxed and there are lots of breaks and mm. like you're having a nice time
0: if everybody's relaxed is the key there, <laughs> though because the thing that you guys do that is the most important thing but also the thing that you it really depends on the personalities of the people running it, Mm. is to set a tone. Mm. And that's not something that you can manufacture, so. Mm. I think, yeah, like I get the sense at lots of
1: events that like poets in particular are kind of obsessed with professionalism or like there's a subset that are. Mm. um, And I don't know whether that's because it like attracts a certain kind of personality or whether it's because doing poetry is such a like culturally degraded thing to do that, like, you know, people want to feel legitimate, but there is a kind of like nerdy urge to sort of dignify the proceedings that I think really like detracts from how fundamentally ridiculous, like most poetry is and like
0: just just lean into that. Right. Like I think about readings that I have only heard about from reading books Mm -hmm. like the readings that used to go on at La Mama Mm. in the seventies and Mm. stuff like that, they probably were unbearably self-serious on one level, but I also imagine that there was more fun Mm. Mm. and yeah, um, that's why I'm excited for next Saturday because I know it's going to be fun and I know the work is going to be great. Mm. Um, That was sort of my next question is I know that in bringing an event like that together, you and Gareth and Harry have to do a lot of reading mm. and a lot of keeping your eye on, on what's going on. I personally will, you know, for long periods just check out yeah. and just not do read any- anything. <laughs> yeah, but I don't feel as if you guys have that option necessarily. Um, and I'm wondering what you're seeing a lot of right now at the moment? Well, to be totally
1: honest, I think we have been a bit checked out for a while. Okay.
0: Um, Well,
1: it used to be we'd do events every month, so we'd sort of, you know, we would have to constantly be reading in order to find people. Um, And I think because we haven't had lots of, yeah, lots of like public events, um, the last thing we did was the launch of the um, journal, the fiction journal, and we did a lot of reading for that, but that was, they were submissions. Um, this, I think this is fun because we're moving to doing these chapbooks, or well, that's kind of what this fundraiser is for, is to launch this chapbook project. Um, and, uh, Evelyn and Melody and Patrick uh, will be the first three chapbooks and oh, they're going to be reading.
0: Fantastic. Yeah.
1: Which is like a hell of a, yeah, lineup for yeah, a, yeah. for a little project. Um, but I think... At the moment, I think it's like, we just kind of, we've read a lot, we're resting, we know who we like. There are sort of like big names that are around that we're into. And Mm. I think getting back into going to everything and reading everything is something that we've only started to do in the last like month or two.
0: You know? (laughs) You you can't see the look in Ursula's eyes, listeners, but she doesn't look happy. (laughs) <laughs> no,
1: no, I, I um, yeah, I went to I went to something really truly ghastly this week. Um, but in general, it's been amazing being back. Like I, we we love going to that stuff. Um, and it's great that Garrett's back temporarily to like rock around and yeah yeah.
0: Sometimes it is worth going to the horrible thing so that you can go to the bar afterwards and talk about the Bitch horrible about thing.
1: It. Absolutely, I I mean I found that event that I went to quite like restorative in some ways because I was sitting there and I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And then I was like, that's why I sort of remembered like how I felt five years ago and why we started doing this in the first place was that, so this doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to
0: happen. It does not have to happen, but well... Let's unpack, is there any specifics (laughs) that you want to mention without throwing this particular event completely under the bus?
1: Uh, I think it's sort of what I was talking about before. It's like highly professionalised. It's kind of like trying to be slick, you know. Um, The work, not all of it was for me, but that's kind of besides the point. Mm. It's like the manner of presentation
0: and, and no breaks. Give people a break
1: and let people have a beer.
0: Either have a break or just end. Yeah. Just get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, you're never going to get slick with poets. So don't try, I think mm. is, the, is the takeaway. Mm. Not That's, good poets. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it's just that there's a lot of, there's often, even with really great, amazing poets who are really widely published and experienced, mm. um, there's often quite a bit of nerves because performance isn't our primary mode like public performance usually is in our primary mode. So like, it's going to be some nerves and there's got to be room for that and it's got to be okay. And that's what sick leave, it's one of the things that it allows for. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me Very too. Excited. Mm. So I want to ask you about these two reviews that have come out over the last little while in the Sydney Review of Books. We'll start with the new animal one. Mm. Can you give us an outline of the book and some of the conclusions that you came to? Um, Can I? It's a big review and it's rangy. Like I was thinking reading it, like this is where really good writers get to have the most fun because you're tethered to the subject, which Mm. isn't your own work. You can just wander out and then come back to the the thing again. You can go off somewhere else and come back. And Mm. I was just reading it going, Ursula is just absolutely having the most fun, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that wasn't the experience of writing it. I don't know. Um, I, it was a
1: it was a weirdly tortured review to write. It just that in that it um, it was during uh, mostly during the second half of last year um, oh, in boy. lockdown that oh, I was boy. writing it. Okay. Um, and everything was quite tortured at that time. Yeah, that was um,
0: the worst bit.
1: And I'd never written. Not only had I never written a book review, I'd kind of never written um, an essay, like, in,
0: at all. Sorry, what, this was your first review that you'd ever written, this thing? Yes. Holy
1: shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Sydney Review Books very sweetly took a chance on me. Um, you know, I said in my application, like, I, I've not done this. I've only really done um, academic writing. Mm. Um, you know, I write prose, like, I write fiction. That's sort of my... In some ways, that's, like, my main thing. Um, But I I kind of, yeah, nonfiction as a form is new to me. Um, And trying to, I guess, um, balance the, like, theoretical or more academic parts of what what I was into and what I was trying to say with Mm. um, what makes an actually, like, engaging review and, like, get the tone right and stuff. That took a lot of massaging. And Katrina was very, very patient with me. Um,
0: Well, yeah the results fantastic. (laughs) Um, well, let's, let's just give people an idea of what the book was like though, because it sounds like on the one hand could have been quite a fascinating book Mm. reading through the review. You definitely get a sense that it didn't quite hit the mark it was going for. I think I was quite excited to read it. Um, in the first
1: place, uh, like a friend of mine who um, for for professional reasons is required to read many, many, many books and for the same reasons, like only ever gets the first 20 pages. Mm. Um, she read it and really, really liked it. Mm. Um, or she was like, it's sort of fun. It's like spirited. You okay, know? She was um, into it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, like, I, I see that in it, like it has a kind of a, um, I mean, it's it's got like an irreverent a, a premise. It's about um, a young woman who, um, does the cosmetics at a, um, I can't remember what the proper word is, mortuary funeral home. Um, and she's sort of, uh, addicted to meaningless sex and her mum dies and she kind of goes on this. Um, it's, it's sort of styled as like a quest of self discovery or like some kind of, uh, self discovery is wrong. Like healing, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Working through a grief in BDSM. Yeah. Yeah parlours and stuff like yeah, okay. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's sort of,
1: um, I mean, that there's like a marketing angle there that's like really ready-made, right? Like it's sort of sexy, it's funny, it's, it's naughty, you know. It's written
0: by a young woman. It's written by a young
1: woman, yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, one of the things that I didn't, I don't think I talked about in the review, but that I feel quite strongly, and I often think this when I read debut novels, is that it's really got the kernel of being something that would have been quite cool Mm. if like there was any respect for an editorial process like in this country or just anywhere because that's the state of publishing but like obviously you've got a young writer who's got their first book and it's like it's got something to it and instead of spending like two years with it Mm. you just cast it out into the world and like see if this works yeah Basically, which is the model like it's not the fault of any particular person working in publishing, you know Because mm. God knows they're like ground into the dirt by those working conditions, but like it, it is a shame and I feel like that happens all the time and so this book I Think was sort of relying and I want to talk about it in the abstract because I think this doesn't attach to like necessarily anyone's intention, but was relying on the um, I guess, like, uh, sex of its premise to um, to do well, mm. um, which it did, relatively. Lots of people read it. But I think it just, yeah, in part because it, it there were some sort of failures of vision from the outset and l- I think largely to do with the fact that it, it I, doesn't seem like it got the editorial process it probably deserved, um, ended up being really under in a way that I thought was kind of... Um, I guess, like symptomatic of a whole literary ecosystem. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of, um, it pissed me off because it reminded me of a million other things I've read. Like the things that were to my mind wrong with it were,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, it starts out with some really bracing words about, (laughs) about that, about that whole industry. Right. Mm And that's kind of, One of the reasons I wanted to ask you about it is I did get the sense that this wasn't uh, a reviewer just going in for the kill on one person. Mm. And so you started out by saying, I mean, I feel like it's a shame for me to read this because it's just like so fucking good. Do you mind reading this little bit? Oh, (laughs) I can.
1: (laughs) Reading new work is secondary to the more important task of literary circulation. That is ensuring the proliferation of new work. We love local debuts, which is not to say that we love to read them. Poets are exempt from this generalization because poets are devoted to each other, which is why God gives them all the best lines. Pointing this out is a more popular choice than doing anything to redress it, because that would involve reading a debut Australian novel cover to cover, and I simply don't know many people who are willing to do that, even if it is their job. That does seem quite. I
0: haven't reread it. It's quite forceful. <laughs> it's great. Mm. And then you go on a little bit further and you say one way to guarantee a miserable literary culture is to insist that the only novels that we should pay critical attention to are the ones deemed by the market competent enough to court prizes, or worse, deemed by prize committees competent enough to court the market. What a stressful situation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, let's go back to that first paragraph. I want to ask, this might just seem really obvious to everybody, but I would love to hear you spell it out. Why is the proliferation of new work more important than reading it? Do we need to seem as a country like, oh, we have a lot of, we have a vibrant literary culture here in Australia. Like, look at all these
1: books. It seems that way to me. Um, And I mean, I've got like a very like specific, you know, potentially blinkered perspective, which is that I know lots of people who kind of work in these industries. Mm -hmm. Um, And so perhaps what I'm reacting to is less like something that is actually a problem in the reading public generally and more a problem in like... Literary scenes, which is that no one reads the fucking books, but everybody is obsessed with writing their book and getting <laughs> their book published, and and sort of assuming that that will mean that it ends up in the hands of people that read it, which uh-huh. seems not to happen. And I'm constantly talking to people, and they'll be talking about like work by their friends, and they'll be like, "Yeah, couldn't get through it, you know. Oh, I've bought it. Like, I went to the launch, you know. And I just, I find that really." I find it really baffling that like people end up in a situation where out of a love for literature, they're so like inundated by, you know, novelty all the time that they they stop engaging with it. Mm. Um, again, like not really the fault of any particular
0: person, but certainly a strange state to be in. It's a really strange state to be in, but I, oh, it's awkward because I really relate to that. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and as a poet, you know, and you say here poets are exempt from this generalization because poets are devoted to each other which is why god gives them all the best lines i i feel like maybe in in your world poets are devoted to one another like Mm. you you seem to have a a circle of people around you who are really who really do read each other's stuff you're writing to each other like it's a it's a it's its own ecosystem Mm. Is, is that Fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I like that you said that we're writing to each other because I think one of the things I like about this particular pocket of the Australian literary scene is that it's very, like, um, uh, iterative, right? Like, I, I, I like feeling like we're sort of constantly, um, like, sometimes appropriating each other's work and kind mm. of, like, reworking it all the time. Mm. Yeah, mm. Um, I think... The sense I get in general, even when I go like elsewhere and meet poets, is that um, there is quite a like, there's at least a tendency towards a genuine community where, um, I don't know, people seem more like invested in like, even if they don't like something and like reading it and figuring out what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Again, maybe that's just like how it looks from where I'm standing, which is...
0: Yeah, a very particular spot. But yeah, um, but that's it's it's just as legitimate as any other spot. I mean, where I'm standing, I I can tell that that's going on because when I read, um. You know, if I read someone's work, I can see a link through to somebody else's and go, oh well, they're they're reading each other. They love each other's work. That's great. And then you know, I sort of take this. Um, self-reinforcing stance of, like, no one's talking to me. Oh, no. <laughs> so dumb. Well, uh, people are reading you. Oh, so that's, that's very nice. That's at least thing. half of it. No, it's, <laughs> that was a stupid thing to say. I, I don't even know what no. I mean. I, I just think that there are, yeah, there's just there's just a lot of different bubbles, right? Mm. Whereas I wonder with fiction, is it more of one big thing and, every, and everyone's vying for that top spot?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, writing novels and short fiction, like, they're more solitary. Like, mm. you, I mean, you're not really in communication with others in the same way mm. um, because the projects take so much longer and they're kind of, like... Like, you can't really incorporate any sort of fluctuation. It's not a dialogue, mm. a novel. Um, yeah, At yeah, least, yeah. yeah, not on the same scale. Um, so that's part of it, I think. I also think... Um, Mm, i reckon the people sort of like that i encounter around my age the the writers that they're trying to like ape and the scenes that they want to be in are like american yeah um which is like not much of an observation
0: no no um, no, no, no but it's worth spelling out yeah for sure uh, yeah.
1: you know and i sort of get that and you know there's lots of like cool or at least like dynamic stuff happening in like uh you know, Manhattan right now that you can sort of, and you can see the stamp of that in a lot of um, contemporary Australian work, uh, including some of the more like reactionary elements. Um, And I think that's interesting because it sort of demonstrates that to sort of totally contradict myself, like it is possible to have a kind of a, a reflexivity or like a currency in longer form work. It's just that people aren't really interested in engaging with... Like what's happening here?
0: Yeah, yeah. Just constantly looking out mm. um, to literally that the island of Manhattan. Like that's, that's the craziest <laughs> yeah, part yeah. about it. But but also that goes to what you were saying before. How can you have a robust editorial process if you need to get the book out next month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Also, like I, I mean, I sort of I don't want to um, be judgmental about that. Like. Um, both interest in sort of like the New York scene or whatever and and the tendency (laughs) to sort of to want to sound American because I think people who are writing novels too and maybe this is like a crazy thing to say but like they they have a slightly more reasonable expectation that like their book will sell that it's like marketable Mm. um I don't think poets think about that as much because like the print runs aren't even big enough to like factor that in Mm. Um, But if you're getting in Australia like a $12,000 advance or whatever, like that's not much, but it's enough to be like, well, I can anticipate that I'll be read by like people outside of this country. And so how do I make myself marketable? And like, that's, that's totally reasonable. I just don't want to like, I don't want to shit on that. No, 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 (laughs) no.
0: And it's also like really rich coming from me who is, you know, completely obsessed with that whole area (laughs) of the world. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I also want to ask you about this review of Nostalgia Has Ruined My Life. So once again, I'm going to ask you to read the opening. Sad girls, my God, are we sad. We've been sad
1: forever, though there's a boom time for everything. Five years ago, you couldn't throw a lit cigarette without hitting a sad girl, shuffling up to the microphone to share some choice misery. Staring banefully at the floor, aiming for abjection and landing in dejection, extra points for oblique references to pop culture. While we are now in agreement that there were some problems with the peak traumatic experience to confessional literature pipeline, (laughs) it was the artlessness of the delivery that really wore you down. Again, that does seem quite
0: brutal now that I'm revisiting. (laughs) No, it doesn't seem brutal to me at all. So what, what time period are you thinking about there? I think probably from like the time that I moved or like yeah, around like, yeah, maybe
1: a bit before like stuff that I would see in New Zealand, but like 2015 through to like, I don't know, when did that start to wane? Like 2018, 2019? I don't know.
0: Why do you think it did wane? Oh, big question. Yeah.
1: Well, feminism's dead. So that's, that's one reason. Damn, it's over.
0: Nobody told me. We ran
1: out of it. Um, No, I think there was this like, uh, I mean, obviously there was like a sort of, you wouldn't even want to dignify it by calling it a wave, but there was like a reformulation of all the forms of feminism that was like co-opted corporately and became mainstreamed. So it was just Mm -hmm. everywhere. So uh, it was sort of, and I don't want to diminish all the writing on this at all, but uh, it, it was sort of cool to talk about particularly gendered forms of like trauma. Mm. Uh, for a while right mm. and there was like you know and this has been like theorized endlessly now but like a personal essay boom that was really exploitative um I mean not that everything that was written in it was like whatever I mean it was just really exploitative it was just a of, like young woman a lot. and it was yeah. everywhere yeah yeah um and I guess that was exhausted like all forms of novelty and like yeah. there were cultural shifts and you yeah, don't see yeah, it yeah. so much now
0: yeah, it, it really hit me. I think it's further on in this review. You call it feminine abjection as radical praxis. Mm. And I read that and I thought about this comedy show that I went to in about 2018 that um, it, it's sort of, and it it felt to me like the culmination of that whole like, movement, wave, whatever it was, just this this thing of like, look at what a failure I am. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and I turned to my friend later that night, you know, at the bar who is a guy. And I was like, like but he doesn't give a fuck. Like, I don't know why I'm telling him, but mm. I was like, we can't go on doing this because mm. we are handing over everything and they're coming for you is what I, what I said to him. I was like, you know, you can't just go on being like, oh, I'm so terrible. Um, because the fact is somebody might turn around and say, yeah, you are pretty fucking terrible, actually. Mm. And how is that going to feel? I don't know. It's I just, think
1: in some ways that is kind of
0: happening. Right. and
1: Or like culturally it is. Like the reaction against that kind of, um, what would we call it? Uh, like valorization of like feminine... I don't know, patheticness mm. or like particular, yeah, specifically feminine form. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm thinking about Fleabag. Like Fleabag keeps like popping up
0: Ooh, in my head. I was thinking about Fleabag um. before. <laughs> yes, she's there, is it? She's in the room. Mm. I could feel her spirit in the room. Yeah, I think... Um, Fleabag was a high that was a high point that was like the perfect distillation of what this is
1: yeah 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 and I mean I like Fleabag for what it is I think it's this idea that there is something like intrinsically interesting about depicting women as sort of like
0: failed people Um, (laughs) but that we were writing those things
1: well I don't I mean that doesn't bother me in and of itself I Mm. think um and I mean I quite I think there's like a I'd love to teach a sort of uh, you know, like I put together a course on like uh, acerbic miserable female protagonists throughout the ages. There's certainly like a boom of it in the mid-century which like I'm sort of obsessed with mm. like um, uh, like Iris Owens and like um, yeah, Rona Jaffe and like there's kind of a, there's a whole like little pocket of it mm. um, but I think it's those when you compare some of this like more recent stuff to that mid-century stuff the difference is that like uh those women are really they're doing what like lots of writers do which is just like um luxuriate in like the you know grosser forms of like human experience right but they're not insisting that there is something like a political and b uh like, self-righteous? Yeah, about? Like, like, redemptive? Yeah, 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 That's yeah. the word I want. Right. But there's something redemptive about just, like, the depiction of, like, specifically female pain. Um, yeah. So it's not, it's not, like, woman writing women who suck that bothers me. Like, I think that's good. Or, like, I enjoy that, you know? I'm, like, staring at, like, a Joy Williams collection over there with a oh. bookmark in it. Like, you know, I love that, but I think the insistence that it's doing something that it's not and a particular kind of um, self-righteous tone, I find I'm, it's anathema
0: to me. Mm. <laughs> I was thinking about Nanette as well.
1: Oh God, don't <laughs> talk about Nanette. <laughs> don't talk about Nanette. No. Oh,
0: everyone thinks like Australians are, are just like horribly angry now. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, sad. That's I mean, that's
1: kind of that's kind of like doing the misery as, as a form of politics and then insisting that what you're doing is breaking the mould and then just reinscribing it and going on and making a career out of it. My partner had to teach it, um, like for a couple of years running in like a first year course. So I've had like enough Nanette to last me right a life. Which right. one one viewing of Nanette is enough. More than enough. <laughs> definitely, but, definitely. Yeah. You don't need to
0: see it twice. Mm. Wow. That is doing the misery is so perfect. Um, so there's a, there's a positive and, and exciting angle to all this, I think, but I need to, I need to check this with you. So in that review about nostalgia has ruined my life, you linked to an article on heteropessimism, which I had oh, never, yeah. I had never encountered this before but i read this article and i was like first of all it just summed up my entire approach to life and exploded it mm. and now now i get to move on so this idea of heteropessimism is that i guess to put it really bluntly all men are terrible isn't it a shame that i'm still straight yeah and so the article says heteropessimism might seem like a starting point of the revolution but in reality, it's an anaesthetizing force and it's had the ironic effect of stalling some of the momentum of these movements. So if heterosexuality becomes shorthand for misogyny, the proper object of critique falls from view. To be permanently, preemptively disappointed in heterosexuality is to refuse the possibility of changing straight culture for the better. So I guess in other words, if I'm constantly sitting around going, such a shame I'm with a man. I was trying to explain this to Tom yesterday, and he's like, what? People think this way.
1: (laughs) People do. People do, like, Mm.
0: you know, it feels like two thirds of the internet thinks this way, like, just bemoaning, you know, the other phrase that the article quotes is, um, heterosexuality is a prison. Mm. Um, But to, to think in that way, to sort of do the misery, as you said, forecloses you from thinking all right well what so what what next what are you going to do are you going to change this article says like straight culture or are you going to change the way that you approach you know your life as a as a woman in the world Mm. or are you going to be fleabag Mm. um Mm. i really love fleabag that's the problem i like it too yeah um i think i mean so the the point i was trying to get to with that sorry is like It's exciting to me because it seems like we're moving a little bit past the misery stuff. We're moving a little bit past the the pessimism and starting to realise that if all we do is sit around and go, isn't everything terrible, um, we we actually don't get anywhere. Mm. But am I being too optimistic?
1: I mean, I'm glad you see it that way. I feel like we're moving just straight back into like misogyny. <laughs> I feel okay. like I feel like ten years ago I could have been like, my workplace is sexist, and everybody would have been like, yeah, it does sound sexist. And now if I'm like, my workplace is sexist, people are like, oh, well, I don't know if that's that's key <laughs> to our discussion here today. It's because I'm <laughs> in academia. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think what I like about that argument is the idea of, like, um, that the negativity is, like, preemptive, that, like, Mm, uh, that kind of um, anticipating particular, like, forms of pain is, like, the only way that you can sort of, like, that's a form of critique to start with, Mm. Um, and that, like, that's a way of moving through the world, you know. Yeah, get there first. Yeah, it's, like, um, I don't know, it's just, like, that's just attritional. Like if you're constantly like, well, this is disappointing me in exactly the way that I anticipated, then like, you can't
0: move. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't move forward and you can't, you've decided that there's no solution. So you never spend any time thinking about what a possible different way of being might be. Yeah. I also think it's like, this is, I don't know if this is, this is probably not
1: red hot. It's 2022. But like, I also think it's it's intellectually dishonest or like emotionally dishonest to be like, I hate men, but I'm stuck here in this prison. It's like, well, I mean, we're all attracted to like forms like the, the heterosexual couple because we have like very deep libidinal investments in them that like also constitute our identities. Like it's not that you're stuck in relation to this thing that like, You know that causes you pain. I think that's part of the that like very black and white. I guess like heteropessimist idea. That's part Mm. of what's frustrating about it Mm. is like, well, this is you know you're in like a you're in like a dialectic with someone. It's not a locked field. Like
0: Mm.
1: you know, gender's a relation, which is not to say that like men don't suck, but (laughs) 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 but just that like it's I I think it's it's not just that it's not like a helpful way to approach it. It's also just like not it allows women to be kind of dishonest with themselves about like their investments. Just yeah.
0: That yeah. Completely, completely. Mm. That is, it just skips over so much. And if you're not the article, I'm probably spending too much time on this with you, but I, I was just fascinated by it. Mm. Um, article starts out by quoting from Maggie Nelson's Argonauts. Um, and how, what was the, I think she was talking about, no, quoting from Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts and where she says that she's embarrassed by her heterosexual drive, essentially, mm. and because um, what I want to say is to act as if you don't have any choice in the matter is intellectually dishonest. But really, you don't have any choice about who you're in love with. Um, I think it's not. It's not.
1: It's not about choice. It's just like well. I don't know. I haven't read any feminist theory in so long. I don't think I don't have like the phrases available to me, but (laughs) I think it's like it's not about choice. It's not like if I could choose to love someone else, you know, I would be a different person or whatever. It's like, well, then you would be a different person. Mm. But like your desires are what they are and they are you. So like
0: you have to grapple with that. I think that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Thank you. That, That was where I was trying to get to. I thought I was leading us down a blind alley there. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so I want to also jump back to a little bit about what we were saying off mic around. I still can't get over that that was your first ever book review, but it seems to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that you've decided very definitely not to try to please everyone in your writing. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like so much of reviewing work and and poetry can be so careful that it just ends up unreadable, Mm. just just so boring. And the question I want to ask is, how did you come by the fearlessness that you seem to have? Um... Let me phrase it another way. It might help a little mm-hmm. bit. So if you could talk to listeners who might be staring down their first review and have a review copy on their desk of a book that they really don't like, but are afraid to say so, what would you what would you tell them?
1: I mean you know you can try and please everyone but then just like probably no one will read your work <laughs> like, if you if you're writing work that is so neutral that it pleases everyone then like it's it sucks right like yep. you know even yep. an overwhelmingly positive review like still has to have some grit to it yeah you yep. could have an angle you like, gotta, you yeah know, you can't neuter yourself I that's a, not a very good answer no it's either, great it's a great it's
0: actually a great <laughs> answer mm. um just to give people more of an example of, of how funny and fearless your writing is. I have a list here of amazing Ursula takes. <laughs> Writers are terrible people with ingrown personalities. Novels are wonderful. Nobody wants to admit they're triggered by the avant-garde. And then this is my favorite one. Uh, I was talking on Twitter. I'm so sorry about that. There is nothing more natural than the Catholic turn among the ultra <laughs> online. Historically, what is Catholicism but a form of posting?
1: <laughs> well, that's a tweet, so I don't have to stand by it. But the ah, other things I it's... said, I stand by. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Nobody wants to admit they're triggered by the avant-garde. He's mm. like, yeah. Mm.
1: I think I wrote that too after reading. This is this is a terrible thing to own up to, but I was reading. Um, this, this guy Mike Crumpler? Mm. Um, who's like, uh, he's got a Substack. He's a guy with a Substack, and Hello. he's he's been writing about this like kind of vile, um, vile sounding, um, like downtown Manhattan art scene, um, which he's like weirdly implicated in, like these kind of like. rich kid artists who seem to be quite genuinely stupid and quite possibly evil keep like but totally narcissistic keep like inviting him to this shit and he keeps reviewing it but getting like he's obviously got some kind of like weird like psychotic investment in it now and he just like keeps going into these like humiliating spaces and like making a spectacle of himself and then like obsessively writing about it so I'm addicted to it
0: that sounds fantastic
1: um but he wrote this Part of this was sparked because he wrote a review of, like, a like a, a play about Dime Square, which is, like, you know, the symbolic center of this garbage. Mm. Um, and I think he was basically saying that he was, like, uh, you know, nobody wants to admit that, like, things are... Whatever it was that I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ripped it Trick out, it out it of this stubsa- sub stack, basically. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's worth saying twice, at least. It's mm. worth saying multiple times because... I don't know. I don't quite know if I can make this this leap here, but I feel like it's kind of the same thing with the heteropessimism stuff. Like if you're not even going to admit how you actually feel, where can we go? We can't do anything if you're just going to stand there and like clap politely. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: I mean, it's uh, you look at those horrible scenes and it's kind of it's not like you would want to replicate that here, you know, Mm. exactly. But then you're like, it would be kind of funny if, like, we had an environment where, like, you know, people were smoking PCP in the Wheeler Center. Like, I would, I would like to see that. I would like to see what kind of scene that might create. Like, can I we want describe?
0: To know. Just because I have a few people who listen overseas, can we describe what the Wheeler Center is? Mm. Do you want to describe it? I would never take
1: that away from you. (laughs) It's just, it's like I shouldn't, I absolutely shouldn't shit on them because they do really great work. And they have some really incredible programs for young writers. I sound like a professional right now. Like I could hear myself sound, I like moved (laughs) into a mode that I'm trying to repudiate. (laughs) So it's just like, it's like the literary establishment. It's completely like middle brow. Um, It's incredibly safe. Um, it has to be. To be what it is and to do the kind of good work that it does, it
0: has to it's be gotta like that. Be, it's got to be safe. I, yeah. I went to see Franz and um, I've never read a word of Jonathan Francis, but I wanted to go <laughs> just job. like see him and just yeah. be like, hey, what's up? And uh, he was being interviewed by the lady who does the podcast, The Garrett, mm. um, who like, I don't know. I was like, well, well, I want to interview Franzen then, like, <laughs> I'm a podcaster. Why can't I do <laughs> Give this? him to me. <laughs> but she was actually very, very good. She was very deft and she kept everything on track. But it was so interesting because it was a pretty big crowd, like maybe 500 people. And Franzen said this thing where he was like, oh, you know, some of the things I think, you know, that they don't, don't go over that well with the left anymore. Progressives have gone crazy. Anyway, I don't really want to talk about it too much. He did this kind of hand wavy thing of like, mm. as we all know, and I was like, ask him about that, what does he mean? Yeah. What is he actually saying there? Mm. But I, I mean, he's like written essays and stuff that got him in heaps of trouble on Twitter and stuff like that. Mm. But it was just really interesting how the whole room, there was this sense that everybody kind of gripped their armrests and was like, let's not go here. We don't <laughs> want to know. We don't want to know. We don't want to know, mm. just talk about birds. Uh, yeah. not birds. And He talked about birds for a lot. <laughs>
1: No more birds. No I'm more actually, bird. I'm writing a bird book with um, with Melody Paloma. We're writing a book of um, bird poems back and forth to each other Aww. as a kind of way of grappling with the um, the, bird the tyranny thing. of the bird. The bird yeah.
0: thing. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I really want to read that. Um, let's talk about your poems. Would you like to read, I have Noonday here. I'm oh sure you have one too.
1: I haven't seen that in a while. Ah,
0: <laughs> here it is.
1: Um, oh, this thing.
0: Yeah. Mm. So when you brought this out, when you brought Noonday out, you talked about how you hadn't really intended to be a poet and, you know, if you weren't so incredibly charming and wonderful, I would have been so pissed off at that because <laughs> it's like, it's so good. And she's not even trying. It's just, This is by accident. Mm. Um, But do you still feel that way? Because you've been writing more poems since then.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, part of the reason that this book makes me groan a little bit is because it's, um, well, I mean, it's it's baby poetry. Um, But it's really... Like, it's experimental in the bad way. It feels like homework. Like, it's very pastiche and, like, referential and kind of... But um, there's
0: really good poems in it, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there are some that I still quite like. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, there's lots of, like, I think they're poems that sort of um, rely on um, borrowing in a way that I have, like, subsequently thought more critically about and like okay. and now yeah. engage with and i think a more interesting way yes okay. um yeah i can't remember what the question was i was just like no, flipping no, no, no. through this no no i, no, I, thinking, thinking, I hadn't oh. gone to a question <laughs> yet
0: um but i would you like to just read one that still to you stands up that's still good um yeah i feel like we're being very disparaging of a mm. collection that's like just pretty damn solid well, thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't know. Is there one
1: you'd like me to read? I sort of don't. Well,
0: the first stanza of Vulture Fantasy might be my favorite opening to yeah. any poem I've read in the last five years. All right. Well, this is this is. I mean,
1: this is actually pretty close to being um, sad girl poem, or at least it's conversant with it. Really? <laughs> no, I think. Well, maybe it's trying to subvert it, mm-hmm. but um, it's yeah. It's not, an, it's not in a different realm. I'll say that, okay. and then I'll okay. read it. Interesting. Because I still like this one. Good. Okay. Vulture Fantasy. Rocky headland of a bright, live face, tender, hooked throat. This shaggy down, these talons, this crown of more or less erect feathers. This address, taught like a laundry line between substance and medium, trying to remember a poem you say, you'll know it. It's about a chick who wants this guy to come on her tits and he doesn't really want to. She feels upset about it. You say, it's a really good poem. I'm like, damn, I don't know that one. They insert their beaks into a slit in an ostrich egg to get at the interior. Holding the shells between their mandibles, I explain, in ancient cultures, trying to remember, there were no male vultures. Stalking around the band word love, extracts from a more rigorous dialogue cheap and sentimental like porn how everyone's always coming so the narrative always culminates knotted white patterns of force many symbols an arc of movable acts lessons at the end a literalized recuperation of the human spirit how trite and i approved for joy call your dick the death drive call myself a nuisance <laughs> looking at my phone whisper have i shown you this Trying to remember, da Vinci writes, he was in the cradle. A vulture blew through and fucked him in the mouth with its tail, opening up the future, visions and deliria tendencies, the problem of flight. He was only a baby, but it really happened in a dream. He later took to painting, but he never let it go, Freud says, because he wrote it down. Dicks are not real, just a thing we have in dreams. Phallus is a dead currency, there is only pants. Everyone wearing them feels a will to power. Great discomfort. Look up, etymology dick coma. Words do not keep us from deeds. Scrambled by unserious activity. The search history manufacturing a backwards glance. The past is a wish compiled later with purpose of intent. Being but cerebral, the body is a shortcut to a symbol. If there are no male vultures, I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, these birds stop in the midst of their flight open their vagina and are impregnated by the wind.
0: Thank you. I don't think it's sad. <laughs> I don't think it's sad no, at it's all. not. It's a love poem it's actually. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't know. I just it's possible I really dislike dick jokes. Well it's got those. So but you feel like you've moved on you've moved on from that mode. Um because I was reading this poem this poem of yours in Overland called The Ordinary Poem, mm. which I did read it and think, wow, she's doing what she was doing in Noonday, but it's like concentrated and it's it's got this amazing midsection. Um, I might get you to read some of this too. I was trying to think of a way to describe it and it sort of feels like what if Walt Whitman but also dark phoenix from the x-men <laughs> that's the best i could come up with that's pretty good that's pretty nice <laughs> yeah but do you do you feel a relationship between what you're doing here and what's in this
1: yeah yeah i think that? so yeah. i mean this is still like a little bit um uh it's not um it's like to me that's like a that's like a um it's like an iterative poem, right? Like, it was a, it was written as a response to um, Sean Bonney's um, Our Death um, for mm-hmm. the um, Melbourne Writers Festival. I did an event with um, Toby Fitch and Evie um, um So it was written for that. So it's kind of, it's like after Sean Bonney. Um, and, like, there's, like, a line from the Futurist Manifesto in there, I think, like, really? open a little do you bit. Want, yeah. Do you want to read some? I actually, yeah, I will, I will. Um... On a train, cold as a cistern, I write a list of demands. I demand a new textual violence, the restoration of the slap and the blow with the fist, a recession of dailiness, a cultural shift, the resensitization of horror. I demand vitrioles, gentle words falling away like stewed meat until a slump in loveliness becomes a long, low hum. I demand futures become threats, right hands become fists, I demand the bright morning arrive, sparkling and odious. I demand the names of every motherfucker who looked at the heaving earth and saw an outcome, a teacup or a clean line, the decorous rhythms of greenhouse plants. Every motherfucker who said there is a place more real than desire. This is a debt-soaked world. The universe lawfully unfolds. On this side, cast depravity as labor, cast the decadent as worker. Consider the grindstone and its manifest beauties the drones in the ceiling, their celestial tones, find bells, the sun, angels, all worn to nubs, rest them from the dross with peace and honor, bird song, winter tomatoes, tart and bitter, the happiness of bread, barbarity, knitting a sweater.
0: Thank you. Mm. Yeah, it's like this incantatory <laughs> mode, I think. I mean, I guess I just wanted to zoom out just for a minute because I kind of take it as read. Like, I, to me, the stuff that, you know, I lazily say, you guys, like you and Harry and Gareth and people who are writing in response to you, like, it's the most exciting stuff that I read. And I read it and I go, I want to do my version of that. But I suppose there's a chance that people listening might go, these poems are full of the word fuck. There's all (laughs) kinds of stuff about coming. And like, I think they might miss the sincerity. Mm. Um, But I feel like the sincerity there is that not earnestness, but sincerity, like you, you mean it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I mean that the vulture poem is a silly poem, but it's, I like that when i say it's a love poem i'm not being flippant like it, mm. it's from like when i first very first met my partner yeah. um who i'm still with mm. touchwood um and um yeah like it's it's sort of like i mean part of what makes it embarrassing for me a little bit is that it's like totally resonant with like actual feeling mm. um and the ordinary poem i think is um i feel embarrassed by maybe for similar reasons because it is really sincere um like i it, It is about like a political anger, like it's a yeah. It's an angry poem.
0: Mm, I can feel that it vibrates with it. Like it was published in August of twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, it was written. Um, I wrote it in June of twenty twenty, I think. Okay. June July.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's that moment. Yeah. 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 It's a bad moment. Bad. It's a very bad time. Mm. You've been doing some great writing and some shit time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, I wrote a
1: little chapbook for Cordite recently that I think maybe was quite flawed because, again, um, I was in the same situation. Like, Kent asked me to do it, like, three weeks out or something. So it's very much pulled together, um, which I think also kind of produces, like, it's... Um, Interesting flaws or whatever, Mm. Um, but I sort of had almost decided that I wasn't going to write any more poems, or I keep deciding that. Mm. And then um, after writing that, it's called Yeon Malley, which was me thinking I'm being really funny. Um, It's a great title, thank you. Um, After writing that, I felt I felt like I'd kind of reconciled these things, maybe that I hadn't been sure about, which Mm. one of which is this kind of like iterative element or this like it's not quite appropriation but like reworking and like really specific like literary responsiveness which i think is kind of always where my poems have come from Mm. and like being in conversation with my friends and like i guess a combination of like a certain um lyricism and like um the dumb shit that you were talking about um i feel like i got Somewhere with that. Yeah, um, cool. That I hadn't. And so now I'm like, maybe I. Well, that's kind of why I'm doing this project with Melody, because yeah. now I feel like maybe I am going to be a poet after all <laughs> when I
0: grow up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I feel like you, no matter how many times you decided not to, there would be somebody around you who would be like, yeah, what about this though? What do <laughs> you think about this? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was sorry to, uh, to realize that that chapbook existed and I didn't have it on hand to ask you about. Um, but I'm I'm glad to hear that it's like pushed you in a new direction. Mm. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, or more of the same, but more more um, intensified.
1: <laughs> yeah, just refining, just yeah.
0: just going closer to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other things, other directions. I sort of thought I could lead you in. One was around just this whole thing around autofiction that you were talking to our class about the other week. Yeah. Um, because I felt as if I only just understood it when you explained it to us. And then I read this thing on The Drift. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a a piece called Room for More, which essentially seems to be saying that autofiction as we understand it is over. And I was like, what the fuck? I only just understood what (laughs) it was. was. (laughs) Who wrote that? Uh, I didn't open it up before I got here. And now I can't remember the name of the, the author. Um, I'm just trying to I'm trying to remember if it's one of the ones that I've read. This article it sort of ends, I think, by saying, whether the near future of fiction is auto or meta or something else, the trends of the last deco- decade won't die. They will just absorb another micro-generation of neuroses. And soon we will be blessed with some new form to shit on. <laughs> uh, which I thought was a pretty great mic drop ending, but... Yeah, it just, um, yeah, I really, really got so much out of what you were saying in terms of like this, the way it puts it, it's like a micro generation of writers. So, your Ben Lerners and your Sheila Heddies, mm. and um, doing this move of, uh, to paraphrase from your review of the nostalgia book, um, containing its own, the book attempting to contain its own reception mm. and anticipate reproach. Mm. This is just me. This is just my story. Mm. Um, and then yeah, another quote, like, why develop a character when they're you? Mm. <laughs> I read my first Rachel Cusk the other week. Mm. I hated it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Hated what did you hate it about it? so
0: much. It um, it was boring so true I didn't know how much of it was real Mm -hmm. and that upsets me (laughs) that's
1: scary yeah
0: (laughs) she was unlikable (laughs) I want my female protagonist to be likable Mm -hmm. Um, and nothing happened nothing was learned and then the book ended Mm. She didn't even finish her reno's. The whole book's about... that one. Yeah, she was renovating her house. We didn't even find out if she finished her reno's.
1: Oh, that one's really vile because she just, like, so unreflexively demonstrates her contempt for, like, poor people and working people. Like, it's so... It's, like, not even veiled.
0: Okay, so I picked a bad one to start with.
1: Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't... I don't really... (laughs) It's weird. I always end up doing quite a lot of like um, academic work on stuff that I don't like, <laughs> and I think mm. I'm very. I feel very like motivated to figure out like if I have a negative response to something, like I want to unpack it. Like I find that intellectually interesting, mm. which I think is not uncommon. But I don't feel that compelled to talk about why I love things. Yeah. It almost ruins it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but also like I think when you have a negative reaction to something that's like, that usually signals that there's something complex to be, like, Mm. explored. I think, I like, what was I going to say before, when you were reading the drift thing? I I think that idea that autofiction is kind of over, like, autofiction is such, I kind of agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I've I've been using this really, I need a better word, but I keep saying autofictionality, um, which is like a riff on... Um, Catherine Gallagher talks about fictionality. In mm-hmm. so, um, this, I think it's called "The Rise of Fictionality" as um, a famous paper. Um, but it's like a kind of a. It's like a set of conventions that have been adopted from like the rise of autofiction that kind of abide across genres. Mm-hmm. So like, I think you can sort of meaningfully talk now about um, like a, a novel, like. A novel and an essay collection and like short fiction all having a kind of auto-fictional protagonicity, yeah. which I think is to do with, you know, what you're talking about, this like um, desire to kind of like master experience and like foreclose an interpretive gap for the reader so that there's this sort of like, there's like a really fascistic relationship to kind of the <laughs> possibilities of
0: interpretation. Um, I'm showing you all this, so don't
1: judge me. Yeah, kind of, but also, like, you can't judge me because I, like, the knowledge resides in me. Like, I possess the information. Mm. Um, and the way that works in, like, the context of fiction, I think, is that complicated. And that's some of the stuff that I'm trying to, like, tease out now and, and work on. Um, I think it, it sort of has to do with... Um, Affect like this idea of uh, I guess um, like dilated time like this sort of um, interiority this like focus on phenomenological experience that kind of like uh, It like can sort of stretch out and like shut out the discursive parts of narrative which mm. is often like where you get the opportunity to like um, Like think with or speak with the text and like that's something that I think kind of I uh, I mean, I like Jameson argues that that's been that's sort of like uh, realism kind of resolving. It's like fundamental antinomy or something. It's like collapsing. Mm. But I think it's autofiction is kind of like the the most extreme like demonstration of that. It's like everything becomes this timeless affect. Um, authority resides in the writer, and you kind of don't have any you don't have any breathing room, which is like bad. That's you what think. it felt like. Yeah. That's what, yeah, yeah, it
0: was suffocating. Mm. I got through it though. Well, congratulations! Thank you. I think I abandoned the last cask I was fair. trying to read. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this is a last question. I just, I also just want to say for the record that I think I understood maybe f- like twenty percent of what you are saying. <laughs> you before, don't so. have to put that. No, no, no. I, I, love it, but I just don't want to. I hate when I listen back and I'm doing the kind of like hmm, hmm thing, but I know that I didn't get what they were saying. So, like, <laughs> just want to say for the benefit of the tape. Um, It's because I don't understand it well enough to explain it
1: simply. (laughs) Like that's how you know you haven't mastered a concept is when you can only you're like referring back to like some like half read academic tome. It's because you don't get it. I'm still Uh,
0: working on it. Hard stuff. Mm. So where do you go for your trash? What do you watch and listen to to take a break from this kind of heavy thinking? (laughs) <laughs> the great
1: weight of lifting my head yeah um uh you I, I've got a terrible answer to that which is that like I was telling you um uh, off tape beforehand that I've taken on I've got like six jobs at the moment yes actually um, this
0: workload is is terrifying yeah mm.
1: and that is in part because like um I think I ruined tv like I think a lot of people had this experience over you know the two years of lockdown or whatever but yeah. like I actually feel like when I try to sit down and, like, turn off, I feel so desolate. Mm. Like, I I feel I'm incapable of enjoying television, basically. Unless
0: lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: like, I spent so long just trying to, like, not exist in the form of, you know, like, television consumption. Mm. And now I just, like, it makes me feel sick. I can sort of do it as a social activity, but, like, I basically just want to be like reading and working all the time, mm. um, to not to stave off mental illness. I guess yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure yeah. I'm, I'm like giving myself another version of mental illness, obviously. But um,
0: we got to pick one. You do,
1: right? Yeah. You do. You have to pick one. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of I'm trying to be like um, I'm trying to go like pretty pretty beast beast mode. Beast mode <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, just live in my office and read all the time, and um, try and finish all of these projects that I've committed to. So I'm kind of um, I'm anti-trash at this juncture. Wow. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of online shopping. If that that might be where my brain goes to die (laughs) (laughs) in really vacuous like luxury consumption. Yeah, yeah, which is morally indefensible. So that's worse. Yeah.